And you know, that is so true across the board in Christianity today. Now, Christianity is a joke today. Christianity is in the biggest mess you have ever seen it in your life. A lot of people don't want to even be associated with Christianity, and I understand that. I don't think that's a good position, but I totally understand the phoniness that you have seen and the hypocrisy that you see among God's people uh, is paramount uh, in uh, the time that we live. And it was the religious leaders that led Israel into the mess that they're in, just like it's the religious leaders who have led uh, this church, uh, uh, the church today, uh, in the mess that it is in. And you're going to find, if you would, and I'm not going to name them, I don't, I don't even remember, know all their names, but if you would take a list of, of ten, uh, 10 guys today who are held up in this country in Christian circles as the great spiritual leaders, Bible teachers, and all of the stuff, you just take 10 of them. And you list them out there that are on the radio or on television and people gravitate to them by the hundreds of thousands. You would find that when you looked at these guys that not a one of them actually believes that you have a perfect Bible and believes anything about the Bible that is really um, any real deep truth of the Word of God. And it's the religious leaders that got it into this mess. Therefore... It has to be the religious leaders that get them out of this mess. And this is why you see in Matthew chapter 12 and 13, when Christ receives his official uh, official rejection of the nation of Israel, and they tell him that the spirit by which he's doing all of these things that God is doing through him is the spirit of the devil, it's the leaders of the nation of Israel. It was the leaders of the nation of Israel that conspired against him to get him crucified. And in Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 7, as I said, when Peter and then later Stephen is preaching, he's going after the leadership because, I've said it many, many times, everything rises and falls on leadership. And Israel's problems is because of the bad leaders that they had that rejected God's truth and the church is in the mess that it's in today because of the pastors and the religious leaders across this country that have rejected the truth of the Word of God. And I told you last week that this passage is used many times to get people saved because we too uh, need to be born again as individuals. And I laid that out very clearly to you last week, how that, you know, that Israel, uh, there's two regenerations in the Bible, Israel, Matthew chapter 19, and then you and me in in the book of Titus. And last week was a really good example of how the Bible if you just follow it, how that it will be so easy for it to lay itself out. Now, I want to go through some things today to show you the inspirational, and you're going to learn a lot of things today, but one of the things that I want you to see is how easy it is for you to, uh, especially you you younger ones that are coming in here and getting discipled and you're working, uh, you know, through the Bible. I, I want to show you how Uh, You just follow a few basic rules. And just following those three basic rules that I gave you last week will be invaluable to learning the Scriptures. And we came away last week understanding that there was no way. I mean, when he said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he didn't say to Nicodemus, you need to be born again. He said, except a man. And we learned last week that there was absolutely no way 
that he could have been talking to Nicodemus about him getting born again. We laid out last week that, that, that uh, the church age hasn't even come into effect yet. Uh, the Holy Spirit of God is not indwelling anybody here like it did after the day of Pentecost. Nobody is sealed with it here. And uh, like I said, the church is nowhere uh, near being uh, coming into effect yet. In fact, in John chapter 16, verses 7 and 8, we were told by Jesus himself concerning the Holy Spirit of God. And by the way, this is the definitive passage in your Bible on the Holy Spirit. The whole seven on down through here, but I'm just going to read seven and eight. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Is it expedient for you that I go away, Christ leaving? For if I go not away, the Comforter, Holy Spirit of God, will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will prove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So, you know, when you come down through this passage, which is a definitive passage on it, you'll find that there's seven things that the Holy Spirit of God does when he comes. And he hasn't come yet. Now, you know, I look at something like that, and I, would, I, would, I ask myself, you'd think somebody would catch that. You got these great guys out here that are teaching the Bible and laying it out and all these things out here, and they have no clue how the Bible goes together. You would think. I've heard preachers get up and take John chapter 3 about Nicodemus and just make that a bona fide uh, how you, you get born again. You would think that they would catch that, but they don't. And here's the issue today. And if you want to know what the real fundamental problem is, and I want you to leave here today understanding this, because if you're going to work with me with people, though you need to get this one down. People will make spiritual things like soul winning. They'll make it such a priority that they put it actually above the truth of the Word of God. Now, I am not underlining the importance of soul winning and winning somebody to Christ, but I won't tell you something. You know, the function of this church, number one, is not to win people to Christ. And the function of you as a Christian, number one, is not to win people to Christ. It's God's truth in your life. That's where it has to start. Uh, But this is the mindset of Laodicea Christianity today. They've gotten away from the fact that there's no doctrine. There's no hardline truth teaching. And uh, trying to be a soul winner without being an acceptable Bible student and not knowing how to use and teach your Bible will always fall short. And it's, it's, it's a pattern of human nature. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 5 verse 12, no matter how we try to puff ourselves up of how spiritual we are or what a great soul winner we are or whatever spiritual bubble we live in, uh, the Bible makes it very clear that if you don't have doctrine, you're a baby Christian. You're a weak Christian. And it tells us in that chapter that that a strong Christian uh, handles the meat of the Word of God, and that's doctrine. But I've seen it all my ministry that men and women will justify their lack of Bible and really getting into it by telling themselves, uh, they're really soul winners. They really care about the lost, you know. And, uh, and that's really what's important. And I want to tell you right now, you deceive yourself with that. And I have, 
I have great authority to say that to you because I did. Now, I'm the kind of guy who I, 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 I can laugh at myself because I do a lot of stupid and dumb things. I've made a lot of stupid mistakes in life. I've made a lot of stupid mistakes in life. But the difference between me and you is I learn from mine. Most of God's people never, never have. And I'll remember, and I, <laughs> this is one of the funniest stories that I can tell you of my early days after I just got right with God. And this was all coming up here uh, in a couple of months. It's going to be 50 years, my 50th anniversary of dedicating my life and, and going on from there. So we're not quite there yet. But I, my dad died in April, and uh, it was right after that, around May, that God got a hold of my heart, and uh, I really committed myself to, to uh, coming back to the Lord. And uh, it was a thing where, uh, you know, it was about... Uh, it was about July when I went to our first camp. I think I told you that last week. It was a, Dr. Ruckman was preaching there. And I got to meet him and spend some time with him. And uh, we, had a, we had some, you know, we had both had military backgrounds and we had a good common ground to talk about things. And, uh, but then it was in August that we have back in Canton, Ohio, what they call the Stark County Fair. Now, the Stark County Fair, every county, Stark County is where Canton is in. They have a, a fair. And it's a big event. Well, the, well the, Can, the, the Canton Baptist Temple under Mel Sabaco, the youth group, you know, they had these big, long things that you walk through where all of the, all of the businesses set up booths, you know, for flooring and sinks and this, and they stood there as you walked by and gave you free stuff. You know how it goes? Pens, pencils, notebooks, and all that stuff? Well, Mel had come up with the idea a number of years before that they, they rented a space there, and they had a little booth with curtains in them. And we had a little clipboard with a spiritual test. As the people came down, we would ask them, hey, would you like to take a, we'd give them a pen or something, I forget what it was. We'd say, would you, would you care to take the spiritual test uh, that we have here? A little question, 10 questions about, about life and things like that. And many people would do it. So we'd take them behind there. And it was a trap play up the middle, okay? I mean, it was a thing where you'd start out by asking them generic questions. And then you'd, by the time you got to question five, you were working into it. By the time you got down to eight, nine, and ten, the last question was, if you were to die right now, do you know where you'd spend eternity? And many of them said no. And so at that point, then you asked them, well, would you like to know? And a lot of them said yes. And that is where, honestly, that is where I won my first person to Christ. And I can't tell you. I mean, I came out of a world, you know, just a couple of months ago, I uh, just got out of the army, out of the military. I just, I just come out of a world, you know, and, and coming into the new Christianity that I was uh, in. And, and, and then I watched these people talk about soul winning and everything. And I watched them in their Bible, went to, went to Thursday night Bible study, you know, and people knew the Bible. And so I can't tell you, I won five people to Christ that night. I went back the next night and won four more. 
Well, I'm telling you. Now, this is how stupid I was back then. I ain't much better now, but I, this is how I was back then. And this is where, where some of you were, are now in that, and hopefully you won't stay that way. So the, the third night, Barb lived right not too far from the, from the fairground, so I parked on her street, and I, I remember this like it was yesterday. I was walking over with my Bible. I had, I had a shirt with a tie. I'm a soul winner, man. And uh, I, I'm looking for a great night. And this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking, you know what? I'm talking to God. I said, you know what, Lord? I'm just going to be a soul winner. It's easy. I'm not going to get into the Bible deep like everybody else is. I'm going to take my whole life and I'm going to dedicate it to winning people to Christ. And I, and I, just, and I, was, so, I was happy with myself. It seemed like that was the first real spiritual decision that I ever made. And I'm walking, I remember it. I'm walking over there just as happy as could be. I'm not going to get into the Bible. I'm not going to really lay out the Bible. I am going to be a soul winner. Because look how easy it is and how fun it is. Boy, I was proud of myself. So I got over there and got my little clipboard and got my little thing and I'm working the runway down there and a guy came down about, oh, I don't know, maybe 20, 21. And I says, good evening, sir. I said, uh, we're doing a little Bible, a little life test here, 10 questions. Would you, would you care to take it? And he said, sure. We went back there and, and I, I started going down the list and I got to be honest with you. This guy's a nice guy. I I've already got my knife out to carve his notch on my pistol. I'm going to get this guy. He's very congenial, wants to know, no opposition. And uh, I got down to the last question, and I asked him, if you died right now today, do you know you go to heaven? And he said to me, do you believe there's a hell? And what I had just tangled into was a Jehovah Witness. And I want to tell you something. For the next 40 minutes, he beat me senseless. He asked me questions I didn't have an answer to. He made me look like the plan of salvation that I was talking about wasn't even real. He would ask me questions, why do you believe this? And I didn't have an answer. I have never been so beat up in my life as that guy worked me over for 30, 40 minutes. And I was as, I, I was as defeated as you could ever imagine to be. And I was walking back to my car. It was dark now, and I was walking slow because my rear end was dragging. And I remember just as clear as a bell. The Lord said, now, Bob, you got a good heart, and I'm glad you're back with me, but you need to rethink this thing about really learning your Bible because you got a great eye. And I had that guy come down there for the reason to show you, to, to blow your little bubble before you got that thing really ingrained in you, that if you're going to be a real soul winner and you're going to care about the lost, you better know your Bible. Now, that thing happened almost 50 years ago, and it's, to me, it's just like it was yesterday. A lot of water under the bridge since then. 
And I don't know where this guy is at. I don't know if he's alive or where he's at, what he's doing. But I pray every day, God, bring him by my path one more time. Because he'd see a difference. And I'll tell you what, I learned my lesson. I did. And I am proof positive. I stand here before you. I am proof positive that God's people will use even the Bible to get out of studying the Bible. And I'm going to tell you right now, nothing that we do as a Christian will replace our learning the Bible in depth to be able to teach each other and deal within the Word of God. The effectual soul winner has to understand doctrine. The real biblical soul winner is born out of the is born out of the depth of understanding the Word of God. And boy, I'll never forget that lesson. That lesson showed me clearly and plainly that this idea that I was just going to be some spiritual soul winner that didn't have to really worry about getting into the Bible wasn't going to work. And you'll remember, I also showed you last week that the great key to understanding all this is two times in the Bible you find the word regeneration, once in Matthew 19 where Israel and once in Titus chapter 3 for, for you and for me. And the word, that's the word that defines what born again really means, Israel being born again at the second coming of Christ and you and me being born again as an individual, uh, you know, when you and I get saved. And I also talked about making good investments. When I look at the church, when I look at you and, and the host of you who, you know, uh, uh, that are here, I, 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 I look at you as my investment in life. I'll make my investment in you, but at the same time, I want you to make an investment in others. And, you know, we, we saw uh, Friday night, Danny and Jamie had a meeting for all the Timothy uh, singles that are working in the Timothy. And they all couldn't be there, but there was a great host, over 30 kids there. And as I stood there and I looked at them and I, I watched them, I thought to myself, I, I don't think there's a finer group of young men and young ladies anywhere in this country. Here are kids who are, are dedicated to teaching the Bible. You don't get one problem from them. You never hear the word no. You never hear the word I can't do it. They take what whatever needs to be done, and these are the hey moms and dads. These are the guys and gals who are mentoring and investing your their lives into your kids. And that started because I was willing to invest my life in them. We got the Bible explorers back there, and this is why I asked for some of you to sign up to help back there. And three people signed up. There should have been fifteen or twenty on the list. Because it's where you start to make an investment. It's where you start the investment I make in you, then you take that investment and make it in others, but then the real key is that together we invest everything we have in the Word of God. And that's a real investment. Now today, we're going to look at the same passage, the same story, Except today I'm going to show you how to inspirationally use this story when you're dealing with people, i.e. winning somebody to Christ. And so we know it's John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Let's read it again. And then we'll 
we'll, we'll start from there. He says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Thou which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell from whence it cometh. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and whether it goeth, uh, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Father, help us today to uh, take these good people that you brought into this good church, and may uh, today we, together, uh, may we look at the Scriptures, and together may we build uh, into our individual lives everything that we need. And Lord, if there is someone here today who does not know the Lord Jesus Christ as their own personal Savior, I pray, Father, that uh, through the uh, speaking and talking here today that they will come to see their need and that we might uh, have the opportunity to open up the Scriptures and to show them how to be saved. But Lord, we'll leave that up to you. And we'll focus on what our job is, and that is the preaching of truth. And we'll just thank you and praise you now in Jesus' name. For his sake we ask it. Amen. Now let me begin by saying this, or telling you this. In the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, or from the Old Testament books to the New Testament books, you will have what I call, and you've heard me say this before, parallel passages. Parallel passages are nothing more than parallel principles. Because you're going to find that throughout your Bible, whether you're in the Old Testament or the New Testament, you're going to find, uh, you're going, uh, you, you, will, you will find principles that fit into the Old Testament and also the New Testament because they deal with the aspect of human nature. And human nature never changes. So they work across the Bible in the, rather the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, uh, you know, the doctrine, uh, may not, the doctrine may not be parallel because of who he's writing it to. But the principles always will. You take the word grace. In the Old Testament, uh, you know, it, it, in the New Testament, you can take it across the board. The word faith, you can take it across the board. In fact, the real definition of faith for you and for me is found in Hebrews chapter 11. It deals with the faith of everybody in the Old Testament. You see, that's a parallel principle. You can look at Israel's disobedience and how they got into the captivity. And you can make that parallel principle to why God's people get into the captivity of the world. You take the book of Job, and the book of Job is about a man in the Old Testament named Job who actually suffered what he did. Doctrinally, it's a picture of the nation of Israel, but you know what? Job's a great book for you and for me to understand why sometimes we go through the things that we do. And in John chapter 3, then you have the same thing with being born again. And I say again, where doctrine may vary from book to book uh, on who it's written to, principles will never vary. 
principles of life, uh, that's what, uh, that's, that's, that, it'll run through the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. You know, and a great example of that, again, would be Psalms chapter 1, which you hear me use all the time in the first three verses. Listen, let me lay it out for you how it works all three ways. Blessed is the man that walketh not on the counsel of the ungodly, nor stayeth the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in the law doth he meditate day and night. And he should be like a tree planted by the river waters that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now that's a great three verses. Historically, it's talking about a man in the Old Testament. A literal man in the nation of Israel. Doctrinally, it's talking about the nation of Israel. Look down there. And he should be like a tree planted by the river of water. Where's that tree at? It's Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48. The tree, that, the river that comes out of the sanctuary. That's, it's talking about the nation of Israel doctrinally. But oh, at the same time, you see those principles there, no matter who it's written to, the principles come across because it's a principle of God dealing with us and our human nature. And so you've heard me say it many, many times. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counseling of godly, nor standeth the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Inspirationally, it's so, it was true of Israel. That's how they got into a mess. But it's how you got to get into the mess. Number one, you quit walking with God and you start taking counsel of the ungodly. You listen to them. That's what Israel did. But that's what you and I do. Then the next thing, you're not walking with them anymore. Now you're standing with them. Now you're in the way of sinners. That was Israel's problem. That's our problem. And in time, if you stay that way and keep going that way, then you sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now you're not just walking with them or just standing with them. Now you're sitting right in among them, and their scornful attitude against God and the things of God has been embedded into your life. That was true of Israel. It's true of us. You see how that works? You just... The, now, it's written to two different, three different people, but the parallel principles come across. And, uh, you know, that's what you want to learn. Now, this is why I constantly are beating you to death about learning biblical principles. This is why when we get into Bible Institute, which we had a great time, packed out Saturday for Bible Institute. Boy, we had some great times in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11. And in the people ministry and the things that we do, I'm always hammering home to you, learn biblical principles. Start a notebook of them. Put them in your Bible. There is a biblical principle behind every doctrinal truth. And you want to, in time, have that worked out. If you've been saved 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and you don't have it done, what's your excuse? Why, why, why isn't that done? Now, God will also use types. We saw that in Hebrews Saturday when we talked about Abraham and Isaac and the uh, offering him up and the figure, a type. He'll do it in pictures. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says that he'll do it in, in samples and examples. In Hebrews chapter 11, you know, we see it in the lives of people that you can make parallel because their human nature is exactly the same as ours. And though they may have lived four or 5,000 years ago, their problems are the same as our problems. And the things they got into are the same things we'll get into. And doctrinally, it may be a picture of this or it may not apply across the board, uh, but it applies in the principles. 
This is why. You have to learn principles. When you read and see principles in the Old Testament that will line up with Paul's teaching to the church, then you can make the parallel. And that's the standard that you use. That's getting the inspirational aspect out of the Old Testament doctrinal passage by using the principles. This will unlock some of the greatest material that you can preach to people, that you teach to people. I watch you guys do it all the time. I, I, I can tell where a person's at with the Word of God by when they teach or they lay something out, how they do it. If they really know their Bible, you're going to get something from them. You listen to the guys that preach here. You listen to the people who disciple you or work with you. They give you something. And, of course, that's the thing that you look for. That's where you're digging that well of depth into the unsearchable riches of the Word of God. And without it, you're dead in the water when it comes to understanding the Bible, and it shows. We've had people disciple people, and I, and I you know, I, I, we don't have many. And, uh, and some of them get better at it. But, you know, we've had people that dis- would disciple somebody, and all they would do is just read the lesson. Uh, I forget who told me this now. It was a church that they were going to, and they wanted to get the discipled, and they put them up with a couple. <laughs> And the couple brought the discipleship lessons over, knocked on their door, gave them to them, and says, here, read these. If you have any questions, call us. <laughs> That's not my brand of discipleship. Hey, you know as well as I do. You disciplers, you know as well as I do. The discipleship lessons are just a means to an end. I mean, we talk about, you know, it's our trap play up the middle. We talk about discipleship being teaching you the fundamentals of the Bible, and it does, but you know as well as I do. You start getting into those lessons, and the Holy Spirit of God comes down through those lessons, and you'll get, this is why it takes you two, three, five, ten, fifteen years to do discipleship lessons, because the people just keep asking questions because the Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God is getting down into them. And you can imagine somebody just going and reading the lessons or just giving them the verses. You have to be prepared because those discipleship lessons are the key to unlocking that person's life and relationship with Christ. And they're going to have some questions. You better have some answers. And that's why I hammer you so much. That's why I spend the time investing in you to teach the Bible. That's why we have Bible Institute, the people ministry, everything I can think of to give you what you need. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just the way it works. And it's a thing where, you know, the key to putting that Bible together is, 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 is just you getting to that point where you really, 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 really understand how to use it. This is why we were told in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, familiar verse. It's a familiar verse, but you know what? It's amazing to me with God's people how many familiar verse, how many verses that are familiar, that we're familiar with, we're really not very familiar with. Watch what I mean. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, The study thyself approve unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, how many times have we laid that out? How many times have you heard me say that? I've heard you say it a thousand times. Now, let me show you how God's people deceive themselves. This is the Laodicean mindset. We 
We seek God's approval on everything that we do, or at least we should. And yet, we don't think about, as a Christian, before God, what our approval reading is. In this country, a president's tenure, his success or failure, is based on his national approval record. Uh, most presidents kind of operate around 50-60%. If he gets any more than that, he's doing really good. Some of them get down in the 30s and the 20s percent. That's not very good. And, you know, when you read this verse, and then we think because that we are what? Want people saved? We classify ourselves as a soul winner. We go to church. We pray. We do all those kind of things, and we actually think that that's God's approval. Well, let me just broaden your horizons here for a moment. The only place in the entire Bible, the only place in the entire Bible that you will find God's approval for your life or my life is in 2 Timothy 2.15, to study, to study, to study, to study, to show thyself approved unto God. As a workman, needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. This is the start of God's approval in your life. What I'm saying is this. When you get God's approval in your study, then it leads to Acts chapter 2, verse 22, where a man is now approved of God among you. And then it leads to the approval that is made manifest in us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 19. Then it goes on into everything in our Christian life that's found in 2 Corinthians 10, 18 and 2 Corinthians 13, 7. But it all starts with God's approval and whether we study His Word or not. Not how we prop ourselves up of being, oh, I care about the lost. Oh, I care about praying. That's not where you find God's approval. Study to show thyself approved unto God. Now, let me show you how all this works. Using John chapter 3 and the story of Nicodemus. Now, man today needs to be born again. There is no question about that. Man today needs the regeneration of the renewing of the Holy Spirit of God in his life, or the Holy Ghost, as he says it. Last week, we just preached about the beginning. And you know what? At the end of that service, two people got saved. I never gave an invitation. Somebody says, well, why don't you give an invitation after you preach? Why? Can't the Holy Spirit of God give one? You think my invitation is going to be better than his? Really? See, I learned a long time ago that this ministry, I don't want this ministry based on me coercing you. 
I've been in Baptist churches at the invitation. If, if, if the service preaching ended at, at 7.30, you were there till 9.30 because they sang 6,000 stanzas just as I am. And when that didn't work after 20, 30 stanzas, then they, sw- they switched over to almost persuaded. And, uh, of course, that, I'm not interested in that. Let me tell you something. After any man preaches the Word of God, if the Holy Spirit of God can't give you the invitation that you respond to, you actually think that a preacher getting up and doing, you're an idiot. All that tells me is you have no clue of how the Holy Spirit of God works. He don't need me. All he needs me to do is to preach the truth that he'll take over. I just simply said last week, hey, you know what? If you're here this morning and you want to be saved, you know what? Just come and see me. I was walking back to get my mic. First guy came over and said, I need to be saved. Second, mom brought up a little guy and said, he, he needs to be saved. I mean, come on. I mean, let the Holy Spirit of God do what he needs to do. He needs me to preach the truth, but then he needs me to shut up and let him handle it. Now, I say that, and I'm going to tell you right now, there'll be times that I will give a bona fide invitation. But it won't because you want me to, it's because the Holy Spirit of God sends a play in from the bench and says, this is what I want you to do. And then I'll do it. Now, you know the second thing I loved? When those two guys came up to me last week, I didn't have to look around and say, now, who can, I get, who can I get to deal with these guys? You were all right there. I just grabbed the two closest people. I didn't have to think about it. You know why? Because you guys are prepared. You guys have studied. You guys are approved. And I just grabbed this guy and I said, hey, he needs to get saved. Boy, he's on it. These other guys bring him up and I says, can you guys handle it? Absolutely. They're on it. You see, that's what makes a church work. That is proof positive of my investment in you has paid off that your investment in the book and paid off that our investment with each other, through each other, into the ministry. Doesn't get any better than that. Doesn't get any better than that. And I am telling you. So when I begin to deal with a man... On salvation, I will, I will start where I know I'm 100% sure. And I am going to show you. Now, I say this, too. Don't use this as, well, i got to do it this way for it to work. This is the way I do it. I'm just giving you an example of how it works for me, and I put it together through the years. Every, the thing I love about everybody in here is that you're all individuals. Uh, you all have different strengths and weaknesses, and uh, when you teach the Bible, you all come at it from a different angle, which is really good. Uh, you, you all have fresh ideas. The last thing I want to do is stereotype to you, this is how you got to win somebody to Christ because this is how Bob does it. You do it your way. I'm showing you so you understand how I use John chapter 3. You put it together for yourself. I mean, you're all approved for the most part, and you can handle that. Now, I start when I'm dealing with somebody where I'm 100% sure of what I'm dealing with. And that will be uh, the book of Romans. You know, uh, it's been for years and years and years that the book of Romans is the Romans' road to salvation. And I've told you before that the book of Romans is the doctrinal handbook 
of, of everything the church needs to understand and believe. And it's amazing to me that after he goes through the first seven or eight chapters and talks about it, then he shows us the three great chapters on, 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 on salvation. What he does in chapter 9 is he shows you why Israel lost everything that they had and why then it went to the Gentiles. And in chapter 10, he shows you how the Gentiles now are to get saved. And after he clears that up, then he goes to chapter 11 and shows you that even though Israel messed it up in chapter 9, God's going to restore them and save them. They're going to get born again in chapter 11. (laughs) Then gave better than that. Now, I know, just so I can hear it now from the from the cheap seats. I know that, and I told you this when we started, that John, the Gospel of John was primarily written for men to get saved. John chapter 20, verse 31. And there's no question about that. But here's what you got to know. Technically speaking, in the Gospel of John, you're still in the Old Testament. So you got to be able to take, the, as I said, the principles across the board in spite of the doctrinal differences. Now, if I might for a moment, and maybe this will help somebody, at least put it into a workable format, <clears throat> I'm going to show you how I win somebody to Christ and how, where I put John 3 into it. Now, when I sit down to win somebody to the Lord, uh, the first thing I do in laying out salvation is I will talk to them about the doctrine of repentance. I will tell them clearly and make sure they understand that, that if a man or a woman is not understanding that at salvation they need to change their lifestyle, then you are wasting your time. And most of the spiritual giants who know nothing about the Bible, they don't care about that. They just want to be able to brag about how many people got saved. I've worked with people and got them to that thing where I talked about repentance, and they said, well, I don't think that I'm willing to do that, that I stop it right there. There's no point in going any farther. Repentance is that you're going to change life's direction. Repentance means that you're at the place that you are that you need to get saved because you see where your life has brought you on your own, and that needs to change. But we live in a Christianity day where we want to get an easy salvation that we want to get saved, but we want to keep our old lifestyle. And many Christians are okay with that, or I don't know that they're okay with that, but they don't, they don't know any better. Many pastors, are, are I've, I've seen pastors on their church service. They'll, they'll just, at the end of the sermon, they'll have every head bowed, eye closed, and they'll, they'll, they'll say, if you want to be saved, just raise your hand. And 30 people will raise their hand, and then they'll say, okay, repeat this prayer after me. And when they're done with it, now they're saved. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You're assuming that they understand everything they're supposed to understand to truly understand God's salvation. Now, maybe that would have worked 100 years ago. It ain't going to work today. That's the mindset of the Laodicean church. You'll find, you'll find that that's the way that it works today. And yet, I'm, I'm going to say this. There have been times that I have found myself in a situation where I had no other way to go. But the difference between me and them, after I say that, I instruct them to come up and see me afterwards. And I wait over in the corner for them to come. 
If 30 people raised their hands and 15 came over to talk to me, I walk out of there knowing I got 15 saved and 15 probably didn't. So the first thing I deal with is repentance. And this is the real issue in soul winning today. Repentance is change. No change, no salvation. The doctrine of repentance will, will, will uh, you know, lead to an e- if no doctrine of repentance will lead to an easy non-salvation found in, throughout the neo-evangelical world in the Baptist. And this is why I say what I say. I, I say it all the time. And I know some people probably it irritates them. Well, that's my spiritual gift, irritation. And I know some people don't probably understand it or maybe even agree with it. I don't really care. This is why I say that most of the people today who claim to be born again have probably really never been saved. You say, how can you make such an audacious statement? You can't see their heart. You're right, I can't see their heart. I just see there's no change in their life. Now maybe you believe a person can get truly saved and not change their life. (laughs) You go to your church and I'll stay in mine. Okay, here's what I do and how I include John chapter 3. Now, I follow a few basic rules in, in Bible in winning somebody to Christ. And uh, the first thing that I follow is keep it simple. I've seen guys try to win somebody to Christ. They don't need the 12 dispensations. They don't need you to show them how versatile you are in the Bible of pulling up 50 verses. Hey, I could win a man to Christ with three verses. Just three verses. Maybe four. The idea that you're trying to impress everybody with how much Bible you know by throwing all these verses out uh, doesn't help them. They need to keep it. You need to keep it simple and basic. And then the second rule you need to remember out of Acts chapter 8 is that there's three parts to soul winning. There's a sowing, there's a watering, praying for them, and then there's a reaping. And you have to determine which one of those you're in. You see, that's so foreign because nobody knows anything about Bible doctrine today. All you think about is just win them to Christ. You never stop and consider which one of these that you may be dealing with. And from Acts chapter 8, The only way you know that is by being led by the Holy Spirit of God in your life. And there's the real problem now, isn't it? So, the first place I will go in my Romans road, this is where the road starts. I don't go down the Matthew Turnpike or the Luke Highway. I stay with the Romans road. Is that I'll go to Romans chapter 3. Now, this is after I lay out repentance, of course, and this is where I start. And again, I say this, everybody's different. I'm just showing you what I do and how I put John 3 in it. You, you, you work it out for your own self, but, you know, follow the rules. Remember to keep it simple, three parts of soul winning, and, you know, pay attention to what the Holy Spirit of God is saying to you. And the first thing that I have to get them to do, and this is great in John chapter 3, is to understand their spiritual condition. Uh, they, and I, I just use a couple of verses. I'll start with John chapter uh, 3, uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 10, where it says, uh, it is written, uh, there was none righteous, no, not one. Now, that's a quotation from Isaiah chapter 64. I ain't telling them that. 
They don't need that. They just need to know that there was none righteous, no, not one, and that's talking about them. I'll look at verse 11, and it says, There is none that understand, there is none that seeketh after God. And I'll explain that. That's them. Verses 12 through 18, we talked about this last week, where it lays out the nine things that's wrong with man. I may or may not use some of that. Don't have to. I just need those two verses is all that I need. And then I'll definitely add verse 23 to it because this is building my little trip, road trip here, and that is verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, the first thing I want to do, and keeping it simple, is I want that man to understand his true spiritual condition. I want him to understand that him getting saved is based on a personal sin debt that he has toward God. Now, this is where you've got to be careful with this, guys. You'll have a guy who, or a gal, and they've made a lot of bad choices in life, and they're unsaved, and they've lost their marriage, they've lost their kids, they've lost their job, and God has used all of that to bring them to the point where now they know they need to be saved. But boy, here's what you've got to do. And this is what does not happen very often. You need to make sure that they are not getting saved to get their marriage restored. You need to make sure they're not getting saved to get their kids back. You need to make sure that they're not getting saved because they need a job. They may not get their kids back. They may never get their marriage fixed, and they may never get a job. The bottom line is they're not getting saved to fix anything but their personal sin debt that they have toward God. Boy, you gotta, you got to know how to handle that one. But in my first endeavor here, I, uh, I, I, I give them and try to get them to see their spiritual condition. Now, step two. I'll move into John chapter 6. See, I don't need those three verses. It's all that I need. And I, I see guys all the time that they want to impress them with all these different Bible verses. You're out of your mind. You know what? That, that, that doesn't help them. They don't need that. You know, that's for your own ego. You can do it with these three verses and get them to see their spiritual condition. Then step two. As I'll move into Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Now, I call this my, my pivotal verse. I call this uh, a bridge from sinner to salvation. Because the verse says, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see... I'll go back and I'll say from what I told them, you see, the wages of sin is death. And the death there, I'll explain it, is not just physical dying. That's death, second death. That's separation from God eternally in the lake of fire. But you see, this is my springboard verse. I just laid out their true condition. And I just now use Romans 6, the wages of sin is death, but... The conjunction, disconjunction. But the gift of God is eternal life. And now I show them that even though you're a sinner, God has made a way. 
even though you're a sinner and we both deserve to die and go to hell, uh, that word but there makes all the difference in the world. It's the only place I know in the world where you can get your butt in the road and it still works out for you. Man was a sinner, but God made a way for all of us through Christ's death on the cross. Then I'll take a little time basically explaining, keeping it simple, how God, how man became a sinner, how God loved him and came down and died for him to take him out of the sin, and that fact that, the, as the verse says, and I use the verse, the wages of sin is death. That's man's fallen state that you're in right now. And the wages of your sin is death, spend an eternity in hell, but the gift of God. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's a gift. And once I do that, then I move to my third position. And this will be Romans chapter 10. Notice, I stay in Romans the whole time. I'm going to use John chapter 3 in a minute. But that's not going to be my main place because it's not directly to me. There are some things that I can use parallel in the principles, but I'm going to start and stay where it's 100% safe. And that is the writings of Paul to the church and the greatest book of the Bible that lays out how a man gets saved. And the next one is I'm going to go to Romans chapter 10. Now, when I get here, and I'm big on this in winning somebody to Christ. I'll stop here, and before I do this, I'll recap. I'll go all the way back and understand that they do understand about repentance, make sure. Then I'll understand that they understand about their spiritual condition. I won't go into a long thing, but just to make sure. Then I'll understand that they understand that, uh, you know, Romans 6, 23. They got it. Okay. Then this is the, I will tell them, this is the last step. Based on you, what you've just witnessed to me and told me, Here's where we go now. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Now here's where I'll explain, and I'll keep it simple, the two aspects that have to be involved in a man's salvation after he understands the first two things. And that'll be a heart knowledge or a heart attitude. And then based on that, a head knowledge or a confession with the mouth. And the Bible says that he believes in your heart under righteousness. I'll explain that to him, that that righteousness there is Jesus Christ and everything I've told you that he's done for you. Then I'll ask him, do you believe in that? Yes, I do. Okay. Then I'll say, based on your heart attitude, now you have the opportunity to confess with your mouth and ask the Lord Jesus Christ to save you because the Bible said in Romans chapter 3, we saw your spiritual condition, we saw repentance before that, and then we saw the pivotal verse, and now we're here, how to be saved. And if you understand and put all these things in your life, Romans ten thirteen says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Bringing him through everything the way that I have, I now understand a good feel for where he's at. And then we'll go through the prayer, however we work that out, whatever we do. Now, having said that, at some point, I will use the story of Nicodemus. But as I said, not as my main point of salvation. 
but I will use it at some point, depending on the person and where I'm at and you know the the day and you know the weather and if the sun's out or not. I I I will show him how that Nicodemus in all his good works, in all his righteousness, in all his knowledge of God, it simply was not enough. Romans chapter 6 would be a good place for this. You could do it uh, any place that you felt put it in because it fits in just about anywhere as long as you're not making this the deal. I would show him in verse 1 that he was a Pharisee. That's a ruler of the Jews. He's religious. I would show in verse 2 that he gives Jesus his proper title, calls him rabbi. I would say, show him in verse 2 that he believed that he was sent from God. I would show him also again in verse 2 that he believes in the miracles that he does, that he was sent from God to do those miracles. And I would show them also in verse 2 that he, he believes who Jesus says he is. Then I'd make this point. Jesus doesn't respond to any of that. See, if that was you or me and we were going through what Jesus went through and then this guy comes up and says, I believe all the right things, we'd say, well, it's about time somebody started believing these things. He didn't. He never even responded to it. He never said, well, thank you very much. He never said, well, at least you're seeing it. Why don't you go back and tell your other boy? He didn't say a word to him. You know why? Because those things don't matter when it comes to God. You see how that'll work across the board? Now, old Nicodemus is a picture, we know this from last week, as a state of the nation of Israel's self-righteousness. We know that doctrinally. But inspirationally, he's also, through the parallel principles, a picture of every unsaved man you're ever going to meet who claims to be religious when he's not. He has all the qualities of a good moral man, and you're going to meet people like that all the time that think because they never killed anybody or they never did this or they never did that, that they're good enough to go to heaven. I've dealt with soldiers, the Marines in particular, that, you know, that from World War II vets that I've tried to witness to them. And the old saying back in the day with those World War II guys that come off of Guadalcanal and Tarawa and, you know, Iwo Jima and Okinawa, and I get it. They, I had a guy tell me one time, he says, uh, I'll never have to worry about going to hell when I die. And I say, why is that? He says, because I went through hell on Iwo Jima. In fact, the saying was, and when I get to heaven, sir, to St. Peter, I will tell Another, another Marine reporting, sir, I've served my time in hell. And I would say, no, you didn't. Now, I'll guarantee you, war is probably as close as you're going to get to hell on this earth. But you didn't, I ain't going to cut you any slack. You didn't get your sins eradicated because you went through a tough time in combat. Jesus doesn't even respond. He has all the qualities of a great moral religious man who is headed to the lake of fire if he doesn't get saved. And as doctrinally Israel leader, he needs to see and understand these things about regeneration for his nation. And as an inspirational application for a lost man and woman, they need to understand that they need to be regenerated, that their good works isn't going to cut it for them. One is the nation at the first coming of Christ. One of them is an individuals at the end during the church age. You see, that's using the parallel principles from the Old Testament into the New Testament to be able to make the thing work for you without ever violating anything. I didn't make John chapter 3 the place where I'm going to start. 
I, I stayed where I knew I have to stay, Romans, and then add to it where I can. And if I can, fine. If I can't, then don't do it. Now also in this, to me, and hopefully you'll see this, Nicodemus is a picture of an unsaved man who can't get anything from God in an unsaved state. This will be 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. This is true of doctrinally Israel as a nation, but it's also true as Nicodemus as an individual, but the people that you're dealing with. Again, parallel principle. Now here's a New Testament principle that fits back to the Old Testament. It says, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Nicodemus didn't have any spiritual discernment. Israel didn't have any spiritual discernment. And unsaved people today don't have any spiritual discernment. And I'll just throw in as a caveat, most of God's people that are saved don't have it either. Now that's Nicodemus, and that's a picture of unsaved people in the world today, or in the Old Testament, or wherever. And Nicodemus is a picture, he's a type, he's an example of that. And we learn that through the parallel passages, that the doctrines don't go across the board, but the principles do, because human nature never changes. Now this is what I call, for you, having a working knowledge of the Bible. You hear me use that term a lot, and probably some of you scratch your head and say, what what does he mean by that? That's what I mean by that. This is what you do as a Christian as you grow. The Bible was given to you not just to help you stay in a life walking with God, though it is. The Bible was given to you to work for you and your work for God. That's why he says a workman. The Bible was given to you and to me that when we do the work of God, we have a working knowledge of the Bible and that Bible will work for you. You'll come to the place where you'll get a command of the Scriptures. You'll understand the principles. And most of God's people today have no clue of how to make the Bible work for them. So, going back to earlier, they focus on something spiritual. They focus it on soul winning. Well, I'm a soul winner. I want to see people saved. They'll focus on prayer. They'll focus on something real spiritual aspect of Christianity, but they'll never learn how to use their Bible. Hey, I've had him in my ministry all my, all my life. Way back in the day, we had a guy that was, uh, and I don't know whatever happened to him, but he was a spiritual Pharisee. And he was saved. Grew up in my, in my college and career class years and years and years ago. Don't ever know what happened to him. Uh, but I do know this. He got caught up in this same stuff. And he was, the, he was the prayer warrior back then. And he felt like that God had given him the, the only understanding of prayer. And I remember one time he asked to meet with the pastors. Well, so I wasn't the pastor. The pastor said, sure, whatever. So it was after church, and we all met in a little conference room. And this guy had the audacity to come in and say, I would like to have a key to the church. And the pastor said, well, what for? He says, I want to come in every morning at 5.30 and lay down at the altar and pray. That's, that's what I did. Not quite as nice as you did. No, praise the Lord. And I thought to myself, you've got to be kidding me. 
You see, he thought, and what he was saying, in essence, you've got to learn how to translate these things. What he was saying is, I'm more spiritual than all you guys because you guys won't be here at 5.30. You're right. I won't be there at 5.30. <laughs> you know, you may go to the church on 5.30 in the morning. I'm going to worship at St. Mattress where I'm going to be. <laughs> I'm going to go to the church of the impeccable pillow. And it's a thing where that, that, but that was his spiritual goofiness, you see. He, he, he wanted us to know that he was spiritual. And this kid knew nothing about the Bible. And you know what? And it's the thing where that was his, that was his candy stick, see? Prayer. Because, uh, you know, when you're, when you're, w- w- these guys always hold up that, you know, when you pray, you know, I'm the only one, so I know how to do it, and you don't. So, you know, learn, learn from me. So his idea was, you know, give me a key to the church. I'll come here at 5.30 every morning, and I will pray for the church. Clearly saying that that's what you guys should be doing. How stupid that is. Like praying when you wake up in the morning as you look up to the ceiling is, is not as effective as being at church. Are you kidding me? Prayer is never about where you pray or the position of your body. It's your attitude of heart. Then when we were here, this has been, oh, I don't know, 10 years ago. I don't know why they always pick on prayer. It's either prayer or soul winning. We had a guy here, and he, he came to me one time, and he says, this church is not really praying biblically. I said, well, gee, really? He says, yes. He says, this church is not really praying biblically. And I, you know, and this time, I'm already done, but, you know, it was a boring day. I was going to have a little fun. And I said, well, we've got the prayer groups upstairs. He says, that's not really biblical prayer. I said, well, I said, we, we pray before the services and Bible study. Well, he says, it, it's, it's more than that. This church needs to be committed to deep prayer. I said, okay. And I said, and I guess you're the guy that's going to teach us that. And he says, well, he says, yes. He says, he says I, I, I just, I, I, I understand prayer. This church doesn't understand prayer. And I said, okay, good. I said, I'm going to let you do it. I'm going to, I'm going to set up a time and I'm going to bring the whole church in. And I'm going to turn you loose on them, and you're going to teach them about prayer. I just got two things I want you to do for me. Now, he, now his eyes are lit up, you know. He may have been on drugs. That's why they were lit up. But anyway, I said, I got two things I want you to do, and then I'll call the meeting. First thing is, I said, give me the two definitive passages. There's two in the Bible. Give me the two definitive passages on prayer. He didn't have a clue. He, he, he didn't know where they were. He didn't have a clue. Now, he's the expert on prayer, see, but he couldn't take me to the Bible and show me the two definitive passages on it. Then my second question was, there's four types of prayer in the Bible. Show me where they're at. You have a clue. This is what I'm talking about. You see, he was a spiritual guru on prayer, but when it came to the Bible, he didn't have a clue. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested in that. And it's a case where, you know, uh, the church is filled with them today. You know, in Isaiah, uh, Mark chapter 7, verse 6, Isaiah, the prophet, he said, of you hypocrites, as it is written, this people honor with me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's God's people today. Because I got news for you, friends. The heartbeat of God is the word of God. It's not what you say from your mouth. It's not what you write on a keyboard. 
It's not what you put in a, in a devotional or a sermon. It's what you do to be approved with that book. It's how you look at that book and what you want to get out of it and what you're going to commit yourself to it. Okay, look quickly here at the rest of this story. 3 verses 10 through 13. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know and testify that we have seen and we receive not our witness. And you receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things, you would believe not. How shall I, you believe if I tell you of earth, uh, heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. Now look at verse 11. This is a reference to the truth of Christ uh, that was revealed in the Old Testament. He says, we speak that what we do know, Old Testament, based on the Old Testament scriptures, Moses and the prophets and testify that we have seen. That's Christ showing up to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies, signs and wonders. And yet, you receive not our witness, you reject the Word of God, the Old Testament, so now you reject me. See how it's working? That's exactly what's happening here. And have set yourself up as a religious system that has nothing to do with the Bible that is fake and phony as the $3 bill. Now look at verse 12. If I have told you earthly things and you believe not, that'll be in context, verse 6, Israel being born of the flesh. He says also the first coming of Christ and everything that they've been witnessed and seen. How shall you believe if I tell you of heavenly things? This will be Israel being born again. The regeneration. Times are refreshing. They can't. Now look at verse 13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven but that he came down from heaven even to the Son of Man which is in heaven. Now that's a reference to back chapter 2 verse 19 where he talked about destroying the temple and three days raising it up and they couldn't get it. He's saying you have all the proof of who I really am. Everything you need to see that I am the Lord from heaven. You have the Old Testament scriptures and the prophets. You have my witness to you now. You have the signs and the wonders and the miracles that I'm doing. Everything you need. And add to that, Moses spoke of me, the prophet spoke of me, the Old Testament is witness to who I am, but you can't discern spiritually the things, and so you reject me. Boy, that's exactly what happens today. Exactly what happens today. And that will be God's people today. They too have no discernment, just like Nicodemus, no understanding, no spiritual insight. That book is locked up to them and is just as it was to Israel at the first coming of Christ. The reason is because they refuse to study to show themselves approved. They think their approval is in their spirituality things, whatever they do, the little things that they do that they want everybody to say, look how spiritual I am. You don't get God's approval that way. You get God's approval by studying, 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 to show thyself approved unto God. Not hiding and masking our true condition of not knowing the Bible through some spiritual facade and hiding behind some cardboard spiritual truth that gives the false impression that you're really doing God's work. Right up to the point, as that kid here about prayer, that I open up the Bible and hold you accountable and you just fall apart like a house of cards. For almost 50 years, I know what I'm talking about. For almost 50 years, I've taken young men and young ladies, moms and dads, 
and train them how to unlock the scriptures and how to lay it out for somebody else. That's been my investment to any kid, mom, dad, girl, anybody who says, Bob, I want to learn the Bible. That is my mandate, that is my investment, and that's what I have done for almost a half a century. Because I understand that you will never have God's approval in your Christian life without understanding the Scriptures. That's why I, you know, I, I put the Timothy group together. You guys, you know, go in there and work and, you know, you, 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 you learn how to teach the Bible. You learn how to minister to these kids. They're at the most tender time in their life. They need you, but you need them. And you're giving to them. You're exercising your senses. You're not just sitting around and, and, and talking about things. You're actually doing things. This is what the Bible explorers are all about. The kids even younger than that. You can go in there and, and have an investment in your own child's life. You can go in there and have an investment in somebody else's child's life. But it'll be as good for you as it is for them because that's where it has to start. The reason why I feel so comfortable, like last week, these two kids want to get saved. I didn't have to look around and say, I want to grab this guy and I grab this guy. And I could have did that 60, 70 times over. You know why? Investment. Investment. It's the key to everything. One simple word, investment. And it's paid off. Just look at what God is doing. How many people are being worked with across this country, in this city, in this church, that if you got a spiritual issue, I don't care what it is. I got somebody right here that has worked with me through Bible Institute, through people ministry, and they know their Bibles. It's nothing more than this church simply working together in ministry as we study to make ourselves approved. It's an ongoing process. You'll never get to the place where you have that final improvement. But it's investment. Your investment in the study of the book. My investment in giving you what you need to get it. But you have to be the workman. It goes back to that old famous verse, to whom much is given, much is required. A workman who needeth not to be ashamed. Needeth not to be ashamed. That's a reference if you ain't got it already to the judgment seat of Christ. Where we will stand there before God and be ashamed. You know why? Because all our lives we thought we had God's approval. And our soul winning and our goofy little prayer stuff and all the little deepy goofy little things that we invest our lives in. All except the word of God. That is the first and only investment in everything else in your life that God approves of starts right there. That's why I'm not going to let up on you. You may get to the job and see the Christ and you may be naked as a jaybird, but you ain't going to point your finger and blame me for it. It'll be because of your bullheadedness. It'll be because of your stubbornness. It'll be because you have just decided you're going to have it your way. But if you go through this church and you wind up in a lake of fire, it won't because I didn't try to tell you the difference. It'll be because you decided that's what you want. I told you, I told you uh, in Institute the other day, didn't I? Life is what? Choices. It's choices. 
And you're not the way you are because of your whatever. You're the way you are because you choose to be the way you are. And that's fine. But I'm not going to be satisfied with it. I'm not satisfied with me. I've been in the book for almost 50 years, and I still am not satisfied with where I'm at. I don't look at myself as anybody who arrived. I know some things about the Bible, but you could fill 100 million billion volumes and 100 million billion universes of things that I don't know about the Bible. A workman who needeth not to be ashamed. You don't need to wind up the judgment seat of Christ with nothing. You don't. I mean, God's people in many ways are an enigma. I mean, I understand human nature, and I get it, and I see the examples from, I showed them in Institute the other day, you know, the crude rate examples in Hebrews chapter 11 is Abraham who is a model and a picture of our life to be God's friend, and then Moses after that, the model and picture of our ministry. Both of those men are God's friend, and both of them were approved. Needeth not. When I met with the singles, I talked to them after Danny and Jamie was done, and I just wanted to encourage them, and I, I, I say it to you. The four hallowed words of a successful ministry. The four hallowed words of the success of any ministry. One, build your people, train your people, invest in your people, these four qualities that you need to have in yourself as a pastor. You know what the first one is? Adaptability. Teach your people to adapt to whatever comes across their way. Well, we have learned that one in the last year. And you've come through with flying colors. You know why? Because our church have adapted. We're still going. We're getting people saved. Everything is going the way it's supposed to. We're moving right along. And uh, you know why? Because I trained you to be adaptable. Second hollowed word is flexibility. You have to be flexible. You can't get your feet cemented in stone. You may be unmovable when it comes to the Bible you believe, but you need to be flexible when it comes to the ministry that you're doing and realizing that things don't always go just the way you want them to go. And you've got to be flexible. You've got to be like that story that Jesus told in Matthew about John the Baptist, that he was a reed bend in the wind but he's never broken and sometimes the wind of this life will bend us but because we're adaptable and because we're flexible we never break the third thing is dependability what does this church really mean to you is it just another one of the things that you put in your life this week that you know or every week that uh, that you're not going to make any real commitment here you're just always just going to, you know, just get what you can get and do whatever you're going to do with it. See, the key to a successful ministry is not only adaptability and flexibility, but it's dependability. I grabbed those two guys last week to do what they could do, and I could have done it with 50, 60 other people in this room today. You just weren't as close to me. My arms weren't that long. But you're dependable. I know when I give you something to do, it's going to get done. I'll give you something to do or somebody to work with or this or that or something that needs to be done and I won't think twice about it. You know why? Because I've trained you to be dependable. You see, you could always depend on me. Now I'm dependent on you. It's a dual dependency. Then the fourth thing is compatibility. 
being able to take any group of you and put you in any scenario and situation, putting some person in charge and everybody gravitates to that leadership and does whatever needs to be done, not because you want to be the leader, but because you've been trained to get the job done. I was watching a documentary the other night about Guadalcanal and the Marines almost got wiped off and knocked off the, off the island. And one of the classic lines in there by the commander, Vandergriff, one of the news people said, wow, you guys are really taking a beating. He says, yes, we are. And he says, I don't know that you want this to be made public, but it looks like the Japanese have you guys on your knees. And he said, that's okay. So what do you mean? He says, because we as Marines shoot pretty well from our knees. We may be down, but because of these four things, we're never out. And you give me a bunch of people who are adaptable, who are flexible, who are dependable, and are compatible, you get anything done. Now that's how I use John 3 into what we're dealing with. Everybody's different. Use the model. Make it happen, whatever. I just want you to know the bottom line is our acceptability, our come to the place where our approval from God is not based on some spiritual quasi thing that we think in our minds. It's based on your study of the scriptures and your growing through them. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We do love you. Thank you for all you do for us. Thank you for today. Thank you for the wonderful people in this church, the ones that, are, that, that hold the line on the top end, the midline people who are getting there and all the new folks that have come in that are, will be there in no time. And for everybody in this church that wants to be everything that God wants them to be and realize that this church and everything in it is the pathway to get there. Help us, Father. Help me to make the continued investment in them, but help them make the continued investment in this church as together we make the investment on Thursday night, Sunday morning, Bible Institute, people ministry, all the things that we do, we make the investment together in the Word of God. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' name for sake we ask it. Amen. Take time to sign up for everything this morning. Sign up for the Bible uh, Kids uh, Explorers back there.